and I'm Kat and welcome to the crime chat. I am your forensic femme fatale and Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two normal girls. Fuck it. <laughs> we're, we're not normal because we obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. So yeah, that's us. What's normal anyway? We're more fun. What is normal? There is no such thing as normal. Here's your disclaimer chatters. The following crime chat contains adult content and descriptions of potentially violent scenarios, very awkward, sad scenarios today, but your listener discretion is advised as always. Yes, and you have been warned. And before we get in today's crime chat, Kat, welcome. Hi. Back to the I'm USA. Home. Thank God. God bless America. Thank you for your service, girl. <laughs> no, yeah, continuing to serve. Uh, we, I think we picked up some chatters out there. Yes. We did some networking. You know, <laughs> got got a few listeners. Uh, I got in trouble for not giving. Um, a spoiler alert on a previous episode where we we're talking about Stranger Things and uh, yeah got in trouble with that and I was like he said six minutes in you give me a spoiler alert six minutes in and I was like oh sorry oh no <laughs> But speaking of Stranger Things, so Chris actually did wait until I got home to finish um, chapter eight and chapter nine of season four, Stranger Things. And he looked at me and he goes, I hate this show. And I was like, what? You loved it. He's like, I hate that I can't watch it anymore. <laughs> We're all there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, but I know. binge watch it again in a couple of weeks. Oh, well, well, and that's the thing. It's like, we'll probably mm-hmm. binge watch it again, you know, later or whatever. But we did start watching The Sandman on Netflix. How is that? Weird. Really? But I like it. I like it because it's weird. Okay. Because <laughs> it's not normal. <laughs> One of our VIP chatters enjoys the yeah. Sandman genius. She does. Yes. She said that she will have to watch it again because the last episode didn't quite make sense to her. Yeah. Um, I think we're only on episode five. Okay. So we're about, I think there's 11 episodes. So like we're about halfway through. Okay. But it's it's dark. It's om- ominous. Mm-hmm. It's weird, but cool at the same time. But he's cute. He's a dark kind of cute. Dark kind of cute. Yeah. Mr. Sandman. Bring me a dream that's a spooky song let's not forget chatters that cat has been hanging out with celebrity lookalikes <laughs> yeah for a couple <laughs> weeks <laughs> oh yeah i got all the autographs i'm just kidding let me tell you this on the way home so i was watching to see if i could get it paid for an upgrade right so i can fly first class mm-hmm. right um and it was like $1,300. And then the day before, it dropped to $1,200. And I was like, eh, still, I don't want that, right? Then I saw an upgrade to business class was only about $197. And I thought, okay, I, I'll sacrifice a little bit of comfort, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. for the next nine hours, right? So I go ahead and do that. Literally on the way to the airport, I get a notification that I was upgraded to first class. So I paid $197 extra for a ticket, for a first class ticket, where I literally laid down flat. Are you kidding me? Flat. Oh my God. And you you know, you know what I did most of the time? What? I edited last week's podcast. <laughs> I did that about half of the flight. <laughs> I watched a couple of, of Oldie But Goodies, Jaws, one of my favorite movies, yeah. and Zombieland. I haven't seen that in forever. And it was on there, and I was like, let me watch this goofy-ass movie. It's cool. I have never seen that movie. I have to watch it. It's, I've heard of it. It's funny. It's kind of cheesy, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of – it's neat. I like it. It's nerdy like me. <laughs> Um, but while, so we're watching Sandman, but while like Chris is at work or whatever, I'm catching up with The Walking Dead. Like I'm rewatching season 11 because, um, I'm watching part one and part two. Right. Right. I'm, I'm starting to, I think I just finished part mm-hmm. one and then par- I'm about to start part two because part three comes out October 2nd. So really? The last, the very last part, the very last season of this show. So they're ending it. They're ending. It's done. But of course they've had a bunch of spinoffs and they've got a mini series coming back where they're going to bring Rick back supposedly. Right. We'll see. They have to. So, I mean, I've been I've been binging. That's pretty much all I've been doing since I've been home. What about you? Super excited that House of the Dragon has premiered. Yes. I've heard such good things, and that's on our list. You and I are nerds. Like, we know the show, right? <laughs> so, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the show, and I'm picking out stuff like armor. Like, I'm like, oh, I can see how they <laughs> upgraded that. Oh, so you mentioned that. Remember in um, Game of Thrones, Brienne of Tarth? Yeah. She is in The Sandman. And guess who she plays? Who? Lucifer Morningstar. Does she really? Yeah, she plays the devil. <laughs> I love her. I know. When we were watching it, I was like, that's that's Brie. She's from Game of Thrones. So I had to look her up and just make sure it was the right person. And it was, and I don't remember what it was. She's Brienne of Tarth. Well, she's Brienne of yeah, Tarth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just love her. I love 
her yeah. energy. She's like a goddess. She really is. Yeah. She's a goddess. Well, well, good. I'm glad you said that because I'm looking forward to catching up. I think we'll, we'll start that after Sandman. After we finish that series, uh-huh. we'll hop on the House of Dragon. You haven't seen the premiere yet? House of Dragon? Yeah. Well, no, not the, like the. Uh. So is HBO releasing it a week at a time? Yeah. You're going to love it. The, the first one was great. You're going to love it. I'm a binger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a binger. My name is Kat and I'm a binger addict. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to wait for the whole season to be completed. Then I'm just going to watch 10 <laughs> hours of it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> That's all I've been doing in the last five days. I feel like, oh my gosh. But no, I am looking forward to watching it. Okay, good. Well, before we get into your crime chat today, I do want to cover a little bit of a topic. You told me to kind of pick some more crimes topics, right? Yeah. To help kind of lead into your story. Mm. And since I was just in Germany, I'm going to cover a bit of German war crimes, which is some of the most prolific, as you all probably will know, comes to no surprise. But maybe I'll mention something that you don't know. Okay. Little history lesson. Wait, let me put my glasses on. I'll be my history Uh. teacher. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Are you familiar with genocide? (laughs) You look great with the glasses. I love it. You got the cleaver earrings going. (laughs) I do have my cleaver earrings on. Oh, gosh. Yes, I am familiar with genocide, yes. Okay. Uh, so it is the intentional destruction of people, usually defined as an ethnic, national, racial, or religious group, uh. in whole or in part. The United Nations defines war crimes as those violations of international humanitarian law, either by treaty or by customary law, that incur individual criminal responsibility under international law. We are probably familiar with what we call now the, the Geneva Conventions, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as a result in contrast to the crimes of genocide and crimes against humanity war crimes must also always take place in context of an armed conflict so you are officially declaring war on another country got it okay and this is either international or like transnational okay that's good to know i never really thought of it that way but yeah so okay. yeah well good i, t- I told you something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so these crimes of uh, war crimes are covered by article 8 of the rome statute of the international criminal court which is a permanent institution that exercises jurisdiction over persons of international concern again engaging in official armed conflict against another country Uh the Rome statute categorizes war crimes as one grave breaches of the 1949 Geneva Conventions related to international armed conflict anybody of our military people out there related we have every year we have to get certified on something called the law of armed conflict Uh and essentially it's just understanding that if you were to engage in war what you can and cannot do and I'm going to touch on that here in a other serious violations of the law so number two is the other serious violations of laws and costumes applicable to international armed conflict number three is the serious violations of article three common to the four 1949 geneva conventions uh, rules essentially related to armed conflict not of an international character so that transnational Mm -hmm. and then four other serious violations of the law and customs applicable in armed conflict again not of international character from a more substantive perspective war crimes could be divided into basically five categories one war crimes against persons requiring a particular protection two war crimes against those providing humanitarian assistance in peacekeeping operations which means like you'll see like red cross or um like religious leaders like they're not uh, lawful targets right. of an armed conflict three war crimes against property or other rights four prohibited methods of warfare gas 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 or uh, E, prohibited means of warfare. Yeah. And some examples of prohibited acts include murder, mutilation, cruel treatment, or torture. I, like uh, Automatically for me, I'm thinking like like Iraq and stuff when yeah. you had people and they were getting beheaded and all this like inhumane treatment, which should be t- prisoners of war under the law of armed conflict, mm-hmm. under international law. But it's very hard to fight a conventional war against unconventional yeah. people, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so some other of these prohibited acts include uh, taking hostages, intentionally directing attacks against civilians, population intentionally directing attacks against buildings dedicated to religion education art science charitable purposes historical monuments or hospitals which is a lot of times why like insurgencies take refuge in a mosque or in a church yeah because they know under international law you can't attack it yes. but that's they hide out but again they're not conventional pillaging rape sexual slavery forced pregnancy conscripting enlisted children under the age of 15 into armed forces mm. or and like human trafficking essentially mm. is also part of that and war crimes actually contain with all of these 
these prohibited acts contain two main elements, a contextual element, which is, quote, the conduct took place in the context of and was associated with an international, non-international armed conflict, end quote, or a mental element, which is, quote, the intent and knowledge both with regards to the individual act and the contextual element, end quote. So what is all that? Like, how did how, how do we even get here, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I love you, Germany, but we can thank Germany for that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all kidding aside, I love Germany. It's a beautiful country. So much history. Uh, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, if you ever have a chance to go there, take it all in. It's beautiful. Yes. However, there is a lot of war crimes and genocide that have occurred out of Germany, right? So considered to be the first genocide of the 20th century, Herero and Namaqua genocide was perpetrated by the German Empire between 1904 and 1907 in German Southwest Africa, which is now modern-day Nambia, during what's, what was called the Scramble for Africa. On January 12, 1904, the Herero people, led by Samuel Maharero, rebelled against the German colonialism. There was the first whole, like, on both sides, there was just huge mass genocide. Two, documentation regarding Ger- German war crimes in World War One was seized and destroyed by Nazi Germany during World War Two. So any documentation that Germany was a part of any war crimes, the Nazis actually like completely destroyed any record of it. After occupying France, along with monuments and commemorating their actual victims, mm. uh, Germany also used poison gas, the first introduced as a weapon by Imperial Germany, mm-hmm. and subsequently used all major belligerents in violation of the what was then the 1899 Hague Declaration concerning asphyxiating gases and the 1907 Hague Convention on Land Warfare, which explicitly forbid poison or poisoned weapons in warfare. Kind of how that is, we'll talk a little bit about how that all kind of came to be in the Geneva Conventions. Uh, in August 1914, part of the Scheiflin Plan, the German army invaded and occupied the neutral nation of Belgium without explicit warning, which violated a treaty of the 1839 that the German Chancellor dismissed as a quote-unquote scrap of paper. The treaty was just a scrap of paper and in violation of the 1907 Hague Convention Act on opening of hostilities. So essentially just wow. unannounced, without warning, invaded Belgium. And we're just going to be like... Mm. I want you. Right. We're still going through that. Well, I mean, I, I feel like that's what happened in the first Gulf War, too, where Saddam was like, I want Kuwait. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Um, the raid on Scarborough, Hartlepool, Whitby, which took place December 16, 1914, was an attack by the Imperial German Navy on the British seaport towns of Scarborough, Hartlepool, West Hartlepool, and Whitby. The attack resulted in 137 fatalities, 592 casualties, and the raid was in violation of the Knight Section of the 1907 Hague Convention, which prohibited naval bombardments of undefined towns without warning so like there's just like a history here of and you know in the imperial german army navy yeah when it comes to the, what we're most familiar with it's world war ii mm-hmm. chronologically the first german world war ii crime also known as the very first act of war was bombing weilun a town where no targets of military value were present which is also a violation where it's like basically stand by stand mm-hmm. civilians uh innocent people who have absolutely no involvement with government police military and you're just attacking and killing all these innocent people so more significantly the holocaust of the jews the action t4 was a campaign of mass murder by involuntary euthanasia of in nazi germany the holocaust was the genocide of european jews during world war ii between 1941 and 1945 nazi germany and its collaborators systematically murdered some six million Mm. jews across europe Mm. around two-thirds of europe's jewish population so there was like nine million jewish people in europe at the time and they killed six million the murders were carried out in poor and mass shootings by a policy of extermination through labor and concentration camps and in gas chambers and gas vans in German extermination camps. So this is why there's now something called the Geneva Conventions. Uh-huh. Rules on warfare and international laws and armed conflict and the hardest part as I mentioned before is fighting and someone who has been part of such wars when you have an enemy who does not abide by international law nor fight conventionally and the people on the other end still have to yeah. fight conventionally. You still have to follow the law of armed conflict and international law. That's one of the most difficult things because there just means that they're unpredictable. Yeah. So that's my intro into this wonderful topic of genocide and poison. My God. <laughs> it's a history lesson for today. Once again, I want to thank you for your service. Oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> because I, the things that we don't know, what you've seen is, I, I just, I don't know. But thank you again. Thank you for keeping us safe, Kat. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Well, this is why I stay entertained in doing a crime chat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> oh my god. Oh, so it's not gonna get better. Okay. It's gonna be on the same tone of what you just went over. Okay. It's gonna be heavy. It's gonna be heavy. Yeah. There is no hero here. There's a lot of villains mm. and it just doesn't get better. My crime chat today is possibly a, the worst, most gruesome human experiment conducted in a research unit. So worse than the Russian sleep experiment? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. If that was a thing. Yeah. You tell us chatters. <laughs> oh, that's right. If you believe in that. <laughs> if you believe it. But we did hit on this one we just didn't name it at the end of that episode because we did say oh, like you know yeah. what plausible plausible in addition to all of the other evils conducted during world war ii this is one of the tops on the list it is a true story it does not get told often enough considering mm-hmm. some of the most horrific and brutal crimes against humanity in the history of the world mm. here we go drum roll unit 731 have you ever heard of it uh ish Mm. i don't know the deets but i've heard of it yeah so before we dive into the story i need to lightly go over the history of china and japan okay Uh, lightly (laughs) i'm gonna lightly go over it the best i can i have my margarita loaded (laughs) it's like the water paintings where you just take clear water and the picture just comes up we're just gonna yeah we're just gonna water paint it we're just gonna do the best we can because it's heavy Mm -hmm. yeah it is what it is so chatters i'm gonna be saying a lot of japanese names and words and i'm gonna do my best girl okay (laughs) as always we need to add that to the disclaimer pronunciations may not always happen and natisms are allowed natisms yes japanese and chinese have fought for decades people believe that the conflict started as early as 1600 which was the takanawa period 1603 to 1867 that's a long time frame it is a long time frame now i did pronounce it right because i was using my google (laughs) pronunciation tool and i'm like the google translate like the listening google's amazing it is amazing. <laughs> so there was peace and political stability and economic growth under this shogun rule. It, it's spelt S-H-O-G-U-N. Like a shoe gun, but it's shogun. Shogun, yeah. I did check the translator and there were a couple of different like pronunciations. There was like one for China, but the American one is very like phonetic. So it's just shogun. Yeah. So I'm going to just use that one. We'll just use it. We'll just stick we'll with just it. We'll stick with what we know. Exactly. This was also a military dictatorship and it was found by the Takanawa. Mm-hmm. As the shogun achieved leadership over the entire country by balancing the powers of the hostilities with the help of the allies. Now, what do you deem a hostile? Like for Japan. China? Yeah, right. Yeah. The Chinese. Yeah. Japan attempted to remove foreign influences on the Japanese culture, and one of them was China. Yeah. They wanted to cleanse their country from any Chinese influence. So from 1633 onward, Japanese subjects were forbidden to travel abroad or across or overseas especially to China they weren't allowed to come back if they even hit the grounds of China they weren't allowed to come back pretty much Japan viewed itself as the center of the civilized world surrounded by barbarians They developed their own god complex. That's basically what that is. Yeah, yeah. The Japanese started deeming Chinese populations as subhuman. In 1868, the Takanawa Shogun lost its power. So that was the the Takanawa period. That was the end of that. Okay. Yes. But now you can also see culturally the Japanese people were just like, they just didn't like the Chinese. Mm-hmm. At this point, that we're talking about years and years and years that went by and they, they just were, they, they hated them. The empire was restored to the supreme position and this act was the Meiji restoration of Imperial Japan which existed until World War II. Okay, so okay. So almost 100 years ish. Yeah. Okay, just shy. Imperial Japan went further by the policy of aggression towards westernization and industrialization. They didn't like that. Mm-hmm. At this time China had begun to sink into a deep state of dysfunction due to the hostilities from Japan. Japanese it was perceived as a declining power. Okay, made Japan think we got this yeah. kind of like yeah, like and, and and to be honest, even today's like modern I want to say warfare, but modern mm-hmm. uh, power positional of power across nations and you know once you see a destabilized government, yeah, 
it makes them very vulnerable to another country coming to take over, which is also where it's very critical why we look at economy and politics and all of that in individual Uh countries as much as I personally don't care to talk about any of that. But it is very important because it could lead to other vulnerabilities and, you know, potential conflicts. Japan was looking at China at this point as being just resource heavy. Mm -hmm. Japan really is an island off of Mm -hmm. China, if you Mm -hmm. think about it. So they were were limited. They had to rely on them for... They didn't like that. Import, export... Yeah, okay. Uh, Like you said, it made Japanese bold in their approach to China, Mm -hmm. but they also had the mindset that Chinese people were subhuman because Mm -hmm. of the reign of the Takanawa. Mm -hmm. They had no respect for the neighbors, and they were going to expand by force. Mm -hmm. Imperial Japan's war with China led to one of the most brutal and cruel attacks ever recorded, and that is the Nanking Massacre, or the Rape of Nanking. Have you ever heard of this? No. Oh, God, this is terrible terrible cat this is just terrible Mm. okay so nanking massacre and i'm pronouncing that correctly i did use the google okay (laughs) the nanking massacre began on december 13th 1937 to january uh i don't know the date but it was 1938 the massacre lasted six weeks the japanese soldiers committed such atrocities Mm. such as mass rape looting and arson war crimes war crimes what you went over before Mm -hmm. i know this sounds like a history lesson chatters but trust me when i tell you in order to get to the road that leads us to unit 731 you're gonna need to understand both sides a little bit okay the nanking massacre was less than two months long a lot of people think it lasted the duration of world war ii because of the sheer amount of people that were murdered more than 200,000 surrendering chinese people were murdered by the japanese soldiers Mm. including thousands of prisoners of war which included other countries like britain and america Mm -hmm. they went on this killing rampage for six weeks. The destruction was ordered by the commanding general of the Japanese Central China Front Army. It lasted over six weeks. Japanese soldiers carried out their orders, which resulted in mass executions and the rape of tens of thousands of people. Wow. The army would loot and burn the surrounding homes and towns within the area, destroying over a third of the buildings. It was total mayhem. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. That's crazy. Next part is hard to read. You can do it. A survivor later talked about it. She was 14 years old during the time in December 1937. She stated, dead bodies were piled up outside the school. I witnessed a girl of my own age being raped by seven Japanese soldiers, then killed with a knife. Her story is so heartbreaking because she described not only being captured, but how she escaped as well. Mm -hmm. She stated that they lined them up to be raped and murdered. Mm. However, she was able to break free from the guy that lined her up because he was so exhausted from assaulting other women. From all the raping? Good grief. He lost his grip. (sighs) She ran and she was lucky enough to find a group of traveling Chinese people that saved her. Mm. You're going to hear a lot of that. Mm. An American correspondent named F. Tillman Jernan. I don't know why why, why shorten that. Well, I mean because there's like journalists and people are out there. They need to have a name that's like memorable. Yeah, that's true. Okay. You know, like Wolf Blitzer. I love that. (laughs) I know. <laughs> okay, he reported that the streets were filled with the dead. A missionary named Ralph L. Phillips at the time testified that he was forced to watch the disembowelment of a Chinese soldier before they roasted his heart and liver and ate them. Oh my gosh, I did not realize there was cannibalism involved. Yeah. Even in war, there are rules. You spoke about them before. I did. The commander here instructed his soldiers treat all civilians and prisoners of war as subhuman. I believe that is a violation. It's a very big violation. During this time there were said to be over 20,000 women of all ages that were raped, captured, and tortured. Oh my god, that number is heavy. Um, That's a lot. Yeah. And this is six weeks. Six weeks. Good grief. Nanking was six weeks and if you Google it, the stuff that's going to hit you is going to be heavy, even the pictures. It's heavy. As history tells us, Japan would later surrender in 1945, but this was after millions, millions of Chinese Mm -hmm. had died at their hands. Okay, Cat's brain is going, why then Japan two years later? It's going, meow, meow. (laughs) (laughs) Why Japan two years later would you attack the Americans? Uh And kamikaze 
methods when China's obviously the enemy. Yeah, well, there's a lot there. I know, I know, I know. They were looking at Germany and they were saying, well, they can do it. Mm -hmm. We can do it. Mm -hmm. And they also believed in blending their race. They believed in what Hitler was doing. They said, oh, I understand the reason for concentration camps and and cleansing the the Aryan race. And they wanted to do the same for Japanese people. And they felt that they wanted China. They they were like, Mm -hmm. we're stronger and we're more aggressive China was more farmlands and you know they they weren't Mm. or they weren't militarized the way Japan was at that moment okay Mm -hmm. so many people remember hearing about the things from World War II like the Holocaust the Nazi invasion Blitzkrieg Mm -hmm. but there were horrible things happening everywhere at this time Mm -hmm. which leads us to our story unit 731 this is right up there with the vile treatment of humankind at the time with Germany Mm-hmm. It's usually forgotten and less talked about. There's a reason for that, and I will get to that at the end of the story. Imperial Japan was vicious to the Chinese people, and they started using them as for human experiments, mm-hmm. which consisted of biological and chemical warfare research. Mm. This was not limited to Chinese people. The Chinese population made up about 95% of the victims. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, there were British and American soldiers tested on as well. Unit 731 started as a research and public health agency in 1932 by the Surgeon General Chief Medical Officer General Shiro. Jennifer Shiro. Shiro. I I googled that too. It is said that in 1939, there were about 10,000 members that were working at the unit and also being experimented on. So uh, a combination of like staff. Oh, so the em- employees also were subjected to the experiments. Okay, There were volunteers at this time. It wasn't as brutal. Please boil my skin. Yeah. Boil. Oh my God. It started out as a unit that wanted to test certain conditions on the battlefield. And they had, they did have volunteers coming in saying, you know, like I saw this in the battlefield and Mm -hmm. obviously the volunteers stopped volunteering. Mm -hmm. So they had to get other people. Because they died. Because they died. The research group would become the Army Epidemic Prevention Research Laboratory for the Japanese Imperial Army. That's a lot of words. Yep. Yep. Okay. For a title. We're worried about Crime Chat with Nat and Cat. God damn. That's a lot of <laughs> words right there. So the Colonel, the Colonel Kuizumi, who later became Japanese health minister from 1941 to 1945. Health minister. <laughs> Leave the chemicals alone. You'd think he would do that, right? So this guy I took a part in an earlier study. He did like research on poisonous gas in 1915 during World War One. Mm-hmm. The Japanese army was so impressed by his success with poisonous gas on the battlefield, Ooh. they were like, you got a promotion, you're going to work in the unit. The unit was moved in 1935 to its location that it would eventually be disbanded, which was in the village of South Manchurian. They changed the name again. This time, the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department of <laughs> water purification department. Kwitong Army. Kwitong? Kwitong? And the Japanese government gave them all the money they needed. Mm. In August 1940, they felt that the name was too long. Uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> and they called it Unit 731. We still, I looked and looked. I cannot find where they got the, the number 731. I wonder if that was like the original, like, staff of when it was created a lot of that times like when those the mm-hmm. numbers come up with that it's sometimes it's related to the origination right or maybe in the first test run it killed 731 people or something like that like there's some kind of there has to be some sort of significance to it yeah that's a good that's a good explanation of it so the unit 731 project was started and it was it had a code name maruda the staff had a cover-up story also for the building of course it said that it was just a lumber mill like hawkins lab like hawkins lab (laughs) (laughs) it's just water for purification nothing to see here ignore the upside down exactly or the monsters (laughs) and the flying dust this also influenced the soldiers not to think of prisoners as people by calling the prisoners logs Mm -hmm. meaning that they were worthless they were just a block of wood Mm -hmm. well and i think a lot of that has to come to with the mentality on uh, taking emotion out of it right yeah taking the fact that it is a 
a human being like you like you said like dehumanizing it if you don't call them people they're not gonna be people and if you only refer to them as logs then they're just gonna be something that gets shredded and destroyed and made into paper and it was easy for them to do because at this point they had hundreds of years of thinking of them as the enemy or thinking of them as like a barbarian so Mm -hmm. maruda also means logs in japanese there was no humanity here the test subjects were selected across the population of china mostly anyone was deemed criminal bandits anti-japanese political or poor they were subject being experimented on if they ran out of test subjects the officers would get in their car go drive through some towns and just pick people up off the street oh that's nice there was one testimony that they remember a train coming in with a cargo they remember soldiers carrying slabs saying logs logs here logs here and it was people lying down on like a a pallet of wood yeah yeah and they were lying on top of one another and they were covered by a tarp basically so an unknowing eye would just think it's what is it maruda maruda like just logs the officers didn't care they would go around the towns taking infants Mm. they would take elderly and they would take pregnant women Mm. so i'm gonna go over six experiments but this is like the six worst things that they did Mm. number one is the frostbite experiment they built a freezing chamber a large refrigerator that would study the freezing over of limbs there was a story about not only limbs being frozen but heads Ooh, yeah like they didn't care if you were alive they just wanted to see the damage that being frozen would cause to tissue yeah well i imagine some would be alive some would like you said would be limbs Mm -hmm. like and how the deterioration would be affected to somebody whose blood is still pumping at some point and then right. not. How, how terrible is yeah. that? Torturous. According to eyewitness account, they would try different rapid ways to rewarm the frozen appendages. Mm. Some of them would have hot water poured on them. Some of them would be held close to a fire. Some of them would just be left in a room untreated overnight to see if the person's blood would start pumping into the limb. Oh. Yeah. Wow. This will take us to number two, which is probably the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, vivisection of conscious prisoners for those of you who have never heard of vivisection before i am sorry that i am bringing this up but vivisection is the practice of mutilating human bodies without anesthesia Mm. in order to study the operation of a living system Mm. thousands of men and women children and the elderly in unit 731 were purposefully infected with diseases such as cholera and the plague Mm. then vivisected in order to see how the organs were functioning having the plague like what was happening inside internally like they wanted to watch the inside of a body function as it is intentionally delivered diseases yeah that could kill them they wanted to see the decomposition of the internal organs oh my god of a living person so they had to keep you awake and they would start cutting in on you they would look at it they close you back up they put you back in the room or maybe sometimes they'd notice that there was a further decomposition on your arm they would take off your arm put you back in the room but either way you were fully awake for all of this feeling all pain yeah subjects would have limbs amputated and reattached to other parts of their bodies oh yeah what? like freaking frankenstein yes wow they would amputate your left arm and reattach it on your right side they would they wanted to see if it could function again or if the body would rejuvenate itself i feel like they're idiots though because obviously there's a lot more than just reattaching there's nerves and muscle tissue and I don't know I just think that they were just being cruel Mm. to think about it Mm. a person's body was all used up they would be shot or killed or lethally injected or buried alive Uh. didn't matter no Chinese Mongolian Korean or Russian prisoner assigned to unit 731 ever survived their confinement there Uh, I'm not surprised yeah 731 started off as a research unit brutal research Mm -hmm. it was originally supposed to investigate the effects of disease and injury that could affect the armed forces. Sure. Number three, weapon testing. They wanted to test the effectiveness of weapons. Unit 731 would group prisoners together in a firing range and then start blasting them with different Japanese weapons such as the NABU 8mm pistol, rifles, machine guns, 
and grenades. Yeah. They would study the patterns, the penetration depth, then leave them, you know, tied to the post to die. They just leave them there. Yeah. They also tested other weapons such as bayonets and swords and knives. They would do the same thing. They would line prisoners up and then just start stabbing them. Mm. They also used flamethrowers, Cat. Oh, God. They would also test poisonous gases, nerve agents, blistering agents to see the effects. Yeah. Subjects would be locked, deprived of food and water. Subjects would be thrown from high heights in order to see the injuries. Heavy objects would be dropped on the prisoners to study the crushing injuries. Some victims would only be allowed to drink seawater and and also injected with mismatched human or animal blood to study the transfusion and clotting process. Wow. You know what all of this says to me? What? Is because all the shit that was done and the fact that, especially after, you know, the attack on Pearl Harbor, knowing our enemy, essentially your understanding and studying the enemy at this point in time uh-huh. and then between that and then germany with the camps and gas chambers and everything like that like the amount that people would go to we started coming up with ways to prevent and keep our soldiers in the fight essentially which is it sounds like that's what they were doing there but if they if we know they would go to that extent in a controllable research environment right god only knows what they would do in out in the war like in real so so we obviously the things that i've gone through and some of the training for like chemical warfare prevention and you know signs yeah all of that that we've had to go through i mean it just it makes sense now why right like why we had to go through all that is because there's this shit out there like this right <laughs> and this is true i know there's a very real reason why you get trained the way you do yeah of course the, the the intelligence is out there to come up with a counteractive plan it's like it goes back to the freaking the, the dawn of time mm-hmm. in sun's boot sun zoo's art of war you know i've never read it the enemy of the enemy is my friend like you have to know you have to know your enemy in order to defeat it so understanding the things that they know in order to and just get the upper hand. Th- that he was more a philosopher mm-hmm. he understood human behavior he's amazing yes another study that they did was prolonged x-ray exposure that would sterilize and kill thousands of victims. Mm. They also studied G-forces. They would load human beings into a large fuselage and then spin Mm -hmm. them at a higher and then higher and then higher rate to see how the speed would affect the victim and a lot of them lost consciousness or would die. Sure. They found out that that usually happens between 10 to 15 Gs, but it's much lower for young children because... Of course. They tested it on children. Yes. Moving on. Wow. So number four, Mm. the syphilis experiment. Venereal disease was a real issue during a time of war. Yeah. You know, it would plague armies and the military because you were going across seas. You were, you know, in other populations and in other climates and your immune system was not where it should be. And, you know. Right, right. Which is why you go to different places. Yeah. You have to have certain vaccinations yes. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So the, the research facility wanted to know the symptoms and treatments of the disease such as syphilis. Doctors would infect prisoners with the disease and then withhold the treatment to observe how the illness would work and how it would run its course to ensure the effectiveness of the transmission of this disease male prisoners carrying syphilis were ordered to rape female prisoners and male prisoners to intentionally infect them wow and if you didn't rape you were killed i would say they probably killed you when they first started the syphilis experiments they would inject syphilis then they realized that it wasn't working well they used the rape tactic if the first exposure failed to establish an infection, they would arrange um, more rapes until you got infected. Not sure exactly how they were testing at this time because syphilis is like an asymptomatic uh, disease. Mm-hmm. So it, people who were infected with syphilis, you, a lot of times you didn't have symptoms till later on. Would they, I mean, at this time in the 40s, would they have blood tests that could test for it? They did. Well, I mean, with the with the supreme level of research at this lab, I'm sure they were able to do it. I think they were looking for more physical symptoms like blisters and lesions. Oh, okay. I, I'm almost yeah. going to assume at this point that every single staff person was infected with syphilis. Mm-hmm. Rape was so profound at 731. Mm. Uh, and we're going to get into it. This, there's a dark statement okay so number five rape and forced pregnancy Mm -hmm. for example female prisoners of childbearing ages were sometimes forcibly impregnated so that the weapon and trauma experiments could be done on them and their babies 
after being infected with the disease, exposed to chemical weapons, or suffering crushing injuries, bullet wounds, sharp metal injuries, uh, the pregnant subjects would be opened up while awake during a vivisection to study the trauma to the fetus. And if they felt that they saw something that they liked, they would immediately rip the fetus out from the mother, stitch her back up, and as long as she was still alive, get her right back getting raped again and impregnated. That's all I got. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I honestly have no idea. Rape happened everywhere and anytime at Unit 731, especially by the guards, like we just spoke about. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. which makes me feel that a lot of the guards were probably infected. I have a statement from an old Unit 731 worker regarding what they witnessed during the rape. Oh. It's hard, but here we go. One of the former researchers I located told me that one day he had a human experiment scheduled, but there was still time to kill. Before that, he and another unit member took the keys to the cells and opened one up. It housed a Chinese woman. One of the unit members raped her. The other member took the keys and opened another cell. There was another Chinese woman who had been used in a frostbite experiment. She had several fingers missing. Her bones were black with gangrene. Mm. He was about to rape her anyway. Then he saw that her sex organ was festering with pus and oozing to the surface. He gave up on the idea and left and locked the door. He went back on his experimental work or appointment that he had that afternoon. Isn't that terrible? Horrible. Truly, Unit 731's research was to support the larger mission they had, which was in 1939, they wanted to start developing a horrific weapon of mass destruction to use against the entire Mm -hmm. Chinese population. While the inmates were being infected, with the most lethal pathogens known to science. For example, the typhus, bubonic, pneumonic plague. They wanted to weaponize the plague. It's terrifying. The doctors wanted to see rapid onset of symptoms and a quick progression. Prisoners who would pull through would be shot because they were useless. And the ones who got sick were bled to death on a mortuary table and their blood would be used to transfect other patients. The prisoners would be exposed to a huge number of fleas Ew. well fleas are also disease carrying right yes okay 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 contaminating the fleas with the disease the fleas would then be packed and sealed in a clay bomb casing and then would be dropped in hopes that the fleas would then infect the animals and infect the humans <sighs> on october 4th 1940 japanese bombers deployed these casings each loaded with thirty thousand fleas they dumped these bombs over chinese village of kuzo Witnesses recalled that there was a fine reddish dust settling on surfaces all over the town, followed by a rash of painful flea bites that infected nearly everyone. Oh my gosh. Over 2,000 civilians died from that. That Just that one. Just that one. And then another thousand or so died in the nearby towns Mm, mm -hmm. due to people traveling. As diseases do when they spread. Other attacks using anthrax killed about 6,000 more people in the area. They started infecting rats. Mm, you're a dirty rat. In an effort to infect not only people, but the food population. Sure, yep. Unit 731 was divided into eight divisions that consisted of 150 buildings. Mm. Division 1 was researching the plague and housed most of the prisoners for testing. Division 2 was the research for biological weapons for war. Mm-hmm. Division 3 was biological agents, mm-hmm. bombs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, where the, where they could contain them inside of a some sort of like missile or yeah bomb yeah division four was the production of miscellaneous agents division five was training personnel and division six through eight was equipment and administrative units training of personnel yeah see divisions one through four (laughs) yeah exactly basically yeah good Mm -hmm. grief yeah they had the ability to produce 30 kilograms which is 66 pounds of bubonic plague in a few days that's a lot do you realize what the bubonic plague did i know when it was naturally around do you do you why purposefully for world domination and holy crap domination and world power they knew they knew what it did they wanted to repeat it you know get rid of all of the non-pure yeah japanese if you think about the plague something like that would definitely come around and hit you in the ass maybe a decade later because you would think you would think in august 1945 after hiroshima and nagasaki both were bombed the soviet union had invaded Murata, the which 
is also known as the log, mm -hmm. annihilating the Japanese. This is when the emperor read his famous surrender declaration over the radio. Okay, I remember that, yeah. Not realizing what had led up to it before, okay. Yeah. Unit 731 would officially and immediately be shut down. The records were mostly destroyed. The researchers were allowed to slip in to civilian life again, and they were ordered not to speak of what happened at the unit. The commander of 731 provided them with potassium cyanide pills. Mm -hmm. If they felt like they were going to talk or they were going to give an interview, that they should take it and kill themselves. Like, that's how bad this was. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised they weren't killed. Yeah, me too. To be honest, yeah. This is where other countries came in. During this time, it was just so scary. A lot of other countries coming there and saying, whatever you found out during your research, give it to us because we don't want it used against us. Exactly. We'll, or we'll give you asylum. We'll offer you immunity. Just tell us everything that you uh -huh. know. So now the remaining personnel and all the prisoners that were not given this asylum or given this immunity mm -hmm. were killed. No prisoners made it out alive. I am not surprised. The diseased rats were let loose and ended up infecting another 20 to 30,000 people over the following years. Wow. They were just let loose. Now, when they were let loose, do you know if we, if they knew that they were infected? Was the Japanese or any of the other countries that kind of had taken over at this point? I'm thinking if it's another country, maybe they didn't know that the rats were infected. I don't know. You know, I don't know. But as if I was a commander or a leader, I would say if I'm going to kill the prisoners, I'm going to take a flamethrower mm. and burn those rats and mm -hmm. fleas and whatever but they didn't do that they let them loose so maybe mm -hmm. that was like their last you know here f you yeah S stick it to the man after imperial japan surrendered to the allies in 1945 only a few involved in the unit of 731 ever really truly admitted their guilt some were caught fleeing to china uh, but only a handful of them were ever prosecuted for war crimes hmm. in japan not one of those people were brought to justice mm. so anybody that was actually answering for their war crimes were, were answering through the allies right in a secret deal the post-war american administration gave them immunity mm -hmm. from prosecution mm -hmm. in return for details of the experiment hence why we get the training we do it's like i knew that yeah and i didn't even know that but it's like i knew that yes some of the worst war criminals went on to occupy key medical and other posts in the public and private sectors mm. so the doctors from 731 were just they got their own private practice event well they were good doctors they were good doctors <laughs> oh. a reason why 731 is not widely known is because the nazi human experimentation is extremely well documented but 731 is mostly formed up of testimonies from former unit members mm -hmm. japanese history books usually contain references to unit 731 but don't go into full details regarding the allegations there is a book called the history of japan and this was supposed to be for japanese schools it included a detailed description based off of officer testimonies of the events the Ministry of Education attempt to remove this passage from the textbooks before it was taught in public schools, stating that the testimony is insufficient. Hmm. But the Supreme Court of Japan ruled in 1997 that the testimony was indeed sufficient enough and wow. that it required it to be in the textbook and that removing it would be illegal and a violation of the freedom of speech. Because it was part of their history? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've, I mean, Americans have done some yeah. horrendous things things as well i mean i'm not saying that you know you're human there's going to be faults there's shitty shitty people have always existed i think it's a political cycle you know japan is kind of like we re we rebuilt it mm -hmm. you know they have a prime minister now they have a house of representatives they have all that it could be political where there's a wave of a more left-leaning goal agenda and then there's a, a wave of a more right-wing political agenda and based on that you know some documents may be released and say you mm -hmm. know what the public needs to know and then there are political um people in power that'll say no the public does need to know or 
it, depending on their agenda. Yeah. In October 2003, the Prime Minister of Japan responded in an inquiry from a member of the House of Representatives of Japan, stating that while the current Japanese government does not possess any records related to Unit 731, they do recognize the gravity of the matter and will publicize any records hmm. if they do come about them in the future. Oh, bullshit. You're just full Not of now. I mean, it's bullshit. 80 years later. It's not going to automatically, like, appear. They definitely have records. The building is still there. Mm-hmm. They went in there. That well, they went in there. You know they did, girl. Yeah. Um, and especially America. I mean, America was was dealing with the Soviet Union, so you know America got there first mm. and was like, oh, oh it, no, we can't have the Soviet Union get this information. Well, and that's the other thing too is also the discovering it and then keeping it from getting into the wrong hands again. Yeah. Kind of thing. There are movies, TV shows, and documentaries about Unit 731. In uh, 1988, a Chinese film called The Man Behind the Sun was released. Mm -hmm. In 2008, a Russian film called The Philosophy of the Knife was released. A film called The Two Versions of Hell released in 2007. It's a a multi-award winning documentary about Unit 731, Japan's secret World War II biological chemical weapons facility in the Chinese town of Harbin. So it's a documentary. I need to see it. There was also an X-Files episode, episode 731, (laughs) of course. Of course. Most recent one that I've watched is on the History Channel, and it was a mini documentary, and it's on YouTube, and it it actually contains testimony of one of the medical researchers. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's very old, but he's kind of giving, he's giving us the deets, you know. The band Slayer, (laughs) 2009, they released an album called World Painted blood with a song called for unit 731 we briefly discussed all of this during the russian sleep experiment what if we had evidence Mm -hmm. of this and what it looked like Mm -hmm. well here it is Mm -hmm. the government did not acknowledge it until 1988 oh wow they didn't talk about it but even then they did not apologize for what happened because of the lack of acknowledgement the chinese government took it upon themselves Mm. to spread awareness of their atrocities and in 1982 they established the museum in the same place where unit 731 was operating during the war what took place thousands of people is heartbreaking and unimaginable and we can only speculate mm-hmm. what the unit would have done on a larger mm-hmm. scale with these biological weapons with that said rest in peace to all the victims and everybody affected by unit 731 you are not forgotten i got crickets if there's a story that's going to give you crickets that's it gosh i, I honestly am like so speechless right now because it uh, it is heavy it's very it's horrible i mean it it, it, this makes people have nightmares it puts you in a headspace that yeah is hard and world war ii was just so it was was a relentless uh, time terrible just absolutely relentless time against people thinking they're better than others their race religion beliefs whatever in society societal status is like if you're not with me you're wrong and hatred just hatred yeah you're gonna have stuff available for the patreon yes i'm gonna have the original uh unit uh, 731 the building mm-hmm. and I'm going to have what it looks like today as the museum there's going to be a lot of pictures uh, I'm just warning you now okay there is documentation there's a lot more testimony but these are not the files that you're looking for yeah so because we don't want to leave you hanging chatters for more information please check out after that crime chat yes don't forget to follow us also crime chat with net and cat let's pick the cheer back up <laughs> Oh my god, I totally brought us down. Womp, womp, womp. I am so sorry. <laughs> Follow us on our on all of our socials, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok to see what we have coming up next. Yes, and remember, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat, subscribe to our Patreon for bonus episodes, behind the scenes, bloopers, also check out Merch in the Works. Yes, absolutely. And be sure to check out our next episode. I am going to be covering Susan Smith. I don't know who that is and i'm oh you'll find oh, out oh i'm not gonna google you it you will find out and it's <laughs> not any better oh no <laughs> all right well you don't want to miss it i'll be here make sure you're here <laughs> yes and we will see you chatters on the next crime chat yes bye, bye.